So if you're free, please plan to be there that morning. If you're not free, get free and be there that morning. Uh, I don't know how many, for those of you that were here last week and, and CD uh, didn't mention it, but remember we showed the video, uh, the Advent video, and just the reality of how much people spend on Christmas. And so we really felt the challenge as a church uh, to you know, spend less and uh, give more of our time and to, to not buy as many presents and to put those resources towards uh, something else, something that we could look at and say, man, we, we did this together as a church. Uh, so September 22nd, I'm sorry, December 22nd, uh, please be there. We're, we're, we're doing a couple of things. On the 23rd, our regular Sunday night service, we're going to take an offering that day. So please you know, plan on We're going to take a special offering that day, and we're going to take whatever we raise in that, that special offering, and we're going to split it between the Bartlett's and the, the Papa Vici's. Um, and just want to bless them uh, as a Christmas gift almost from the church. So please uh, plan to, to contribute and help out in that way on the Sunday night. But for those that can't give just right now, we understand it's Christmas and it's, it's, it's money's tight. Uh, so please give of your time. That's what we're asking. Give of your time. Don't feel like you can't contribute, like you can't help out. Uh, so we're excited to be able to do something as a church, as a family, and go out uh, and preach the gospel and, and love on people. Uh, so with that, uh, please mark your calendars for that weekend before Christmas, Saturday morning at 10, uh, and then Sunday night we'll be taking that special offering. And without waiting any longer, we will dismiss half of our church to the other room. Uh, and it's, it's up to... 10 or 12-year-olds? What is it? Kid, the kids are dismissed to 10-year-olds? 12. 5 to 12. To children's and then the nursery is open. So. And as always, since we have some emptier seats in the front, if we could ask people in the back to move forward so we could have a more intimate family meeting. So please move up to these first couple of rows. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm very excited uh, to be sharing with you guys tonight. Uh, I have the honor of sharing uh, this week and next week. So if you don't like it tonight, you might not want to come back next week. Or if you love it, you can come back for the sequel. Yay. So, uh... Let me, uh, let's, let's, let's just start, um, let's just, let's just go before the Father. Father, in Jesus' name, we commit this service to you tonight, Lord God. Lord, we commit just the worship that we've already entered into, Lord God, and we declare now, Lord, that this is continued worship. Our, our setting our, the, the, the ears of our hearts, God, to hear your voice is an act of worship, God. So we pray in Jesus' name. That you would speak to us tonight, Lord. That you would reveal more of your great plan and your will to us, Lord God. That we could walk in it joyfully bringing uh, 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 peace and, 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 and love to the world, God. And ultimately bringing joy to you, Lord God. We pray in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself to us tonight, God. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. So we are going to flip through multiple passages of Scripture. I don't know. I always do this. I always, like, find every verse in the Bible that has to do with what I want to talk about, and we just read them all. Uh, so we're going to start in Genesis 3. <clears throat> if anybody was hoping for a prophetic word tonight, you're going to get one because the Word of God is prophetic. 
I learned that one from Boom Jones. So in Genesis chapter 3, and what I want to talk about tonight, and and this is something that might not be, uh, that might be familiar to, to most of us here, but nonetheless, I feel like God keeps bringing this up in our midst because I feel like this is, this is foundational to who we are. One as the people of God, but also just as a church, as cross culture church, this is who we are. And there's a difference, uh, we're going to talk about tonight, we're going to be talking about the presence of God. And there's a difference between God being omnipresent. Who knows what God being omnipresent means? He's everywhere, all the time. You you, you probably learned that growing up, like God's everywhere and he's watching you, you know. Uh, And that's true, God is omnipresent. But there is also a manifest presence. God's manifest presence where God is actually here. He's with us. Anybody ever experienced a difference? Or it's not just, well, yeah, I know God's here and he's listening and he can see everything. But no, God's here. I know it. Like it, 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 it sometimes you can feel it. Sometimes you can sense it. Sometimes you can smell it. Sometimes you, you just know God's here. There's, there's a way that you can tell. And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight. God's manifest presence. And if you look at Genesis chapter 3, verse 7, says then the, it says, this is just after, let me say this, this is just after the flood, uh, not the flood, the fall, sorry. This is just after the fall, this is just after Adam and Eve decided to disobey God. And it says in verse 7, then the eyes of both of them, talking about Adam and Eve, were opened And they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to man and said, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid myself. Now, we're looking, this is, this is exactly, this is what happens immediately after the fall. Immediately after man has sinned and separated themselves from God, we see that God is walking in the garden. Now, remember, God is everywhere all the time, but the writer here goes out of his way to point out the fact that God was walking. He was there. Walking in the garden. How do we know this wasn't just like a metaphor for what was happening? Because Adam says, we heard the sound of you walking in the garden. And we hid because we were, we were naked and we were ashamed. So right here we see there's, there's a difference between God being there all the time and him being present with his creation. And this is what we're going to be talking about tonight because, again, I feel like this is just so foundational to us. If you turn the page, or maybe you don't have to, to Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, verse 9. This is just after Cain killed his brother Abel. It says, the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? And he said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? He said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you cultivate the ground, it will no longer yield its strength to you. You will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, my punishment is great. It's too great to bear. Behold, you have driven me this day from the face of the ground. And from your face, I will be hidden. And I will be a vagrant and a wanderer on the earth. And whoever finds me will kill me. So the Lord said to him, therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord appointed a sign for Cain so that no one finding him would slay him. Then Cain went out from the presence of the Lord and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Again, this is Cain after, this is after the fall, sinful man separated from God, having a conversation with God. So where he can actually leave the presence of God. He leaves his presence, not his omnipresence, but the fact that God is there. But one thing I want to point out, and this is just a freebie. We're talking about a convicted murderer here. 
And we see even here the, the, the grace and the mercy of God. He just killed his brother. And he's afraid that somebody's going to kill him. And God says, if anybody kills Cain, vengeance will be taken on them sevenfold. Already we're seeing just the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God. Like Benny felt earlier, like we need to be convinced of God's goodness. This is, this is a convicted murderer we're talking about. And God goes out of his way. He says, God created a sign so that people would know, don't mess with this guy. He's with me. This is the God that we're talking about. This is the God that we're longing to be in our midst. This is why we gather, because we want him to be with us. <clears throat> Next, it is 33. It's a very familiar passage. This is actually my favorite verse in the Bible. Exodus 33. Where we, and we've heard this story before where Moses and, the, and Israel are, are, are in the wilderness and God is talking to Moses and he's, God is telling Moses, listen, the people are complaining way too much. You guys can go to the promised land. Go for it. He, God tells Moses, I'm going to send an angel in front of you and he's going to wipe out all of your enemies. And when you're going to get to the promised land and it's going to be flowing with milk and honey, but I'm not going with you. This is what God tells Moses. This is, the, this is the deal God makes with his people. Yes, God is omnipresent, but here we say, God say, I'm not going to be there when you get there. God goes out of his way. He, I mean, think about this. How many people today, how many people today would jump at the chance to have an angel lead the way? An angel lead the way and wipe out all of your enemies and when you get where you're going, the land is flowing with milk and honey. That means you got everything you need. Provision has already been paid for. You got whatever you're going to need. How many people in the church today would jump at the fact, jump at the opportunity to have an angel lead, lead the way? I'm, I'm, it's tempting. <laughs> Man, that sounds pretty cool. Until you get to the last part where God says, but I'm not going with you. I'm not going to be there. And when it's one of my, my favorite verses in the scriptures, Exodus 33, 16. Because Moses tells God, look, these are your people. You're not sending me with my people. These are your people. And he says in verse 16, for how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, me and your people? Is it not by your going with us? So that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all the other people who are upon the face of the earth. Again, this is familiar to us. This, this story here, but man, Moses says, listen, the only thing that makes me different from everybody else in the world is the fact that you're with me. That's the only thing that makes me different. It's not the fact that I left Egypt. It's not the fact that I was... Born and my mother put me in a basket and shipped me down the river. That doesn't make me different from anybody. It's the fact that you're with me makes me different. And I'm telling this, and this is the reality for us as believers. This is what makes Christianity different from every other world religion, every other cult. We have the living God amongst us. Fact. And we just see there's this constant theme. Of the presence of God, being important to God's people, being a part of Israel's history. In Deuteronomy 14, we see something. God is giving instructions. 14.26, he says, You may spend the money for whatever your heart desires, for oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, or whatever your heart desires, and there you shall eat in the presence of the Lord. And your God, in the presence of the Lord your God, and rejoice, and you and your household. Now this is just, a, I, I, I put this in here because I want to try to bring this down into our world. Listen, God is instructing his people. Look, spend the money on whatever you want to spend the money on, and then you and your family, when you guys sit down to have dinner, do it in, in my presence. Don't, it's not with, it's not, well, God is here, yes, we prayed, we blessed the bologna sandwich, and we're going to eat now. We do it before the Lord. Everything we do, we do unto the Lord. He's there in our midst. Let's eat with him, in him. These are the instructions that God is giving his people. 
And, some, and, and, and we see earlier, uh, and I, I didn't read it, but in Exodus 33, we also see that, you know, whenever Moses and, and, and Israel, whenever they were, whenever he was meeting with God, they would set up a tent, the tent of meeting. And it said Moses would go to the tent and Joshua would come with him and Moses would stick his face in the tent. And it says all of Israel would come out of their, their tents and they would watch the tent where, as Moses walked in and they would see the glory of the Lord come down. They would see the presence of God coming down over the tent and they knew he's meeting with God. Go back and read Exodus 33. It says that God would talk to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. Because they, and get this, they could actually see God showing up. Just like when somebody walks into the room, you're going to be like, well, we just saw this person walk in. Like we saw it with our own eyes. We don't have to pretend or try to spiritualize or mystify everything. No, we watch. I saw it walk in. I saw him walk in. And they're seeing the presence of God come over the tent. And this is what they would, they would set up. They would travel somewhere else in the desert, set up a tent. And Moses would walk into the tent, and God would come. God would show up, and he would speak to Moses face to face like God speaks with a friend. And then over Israel's history, God tells, David tells, I'm um, sorry. Yeah, David says he wants to build God a temple. I want to build you a permanent house. I want to build a place for you to dwell, where your presence could be. Israel carried around the Ark of the Covenant where God's presence was. And David was going to build the temple, and Solomon ends up building the temple. And if you go back and you start reading through this, you see people were excited about this. It was exciting. It was a good thing, the idea of building a house for God, building a place for God to dwell. So much so that when they were taking an offering, they were taking an offering so that they could build the temple. And they had to say, all right, everybody, stop giving. We've got enough. We've got more than enough. Stop it. When's the last time we saw an offering like that? Where people were so excited about doing something for God that they actually had to say, stop. And sometimes it's total opposite. Where it's like, well, we really got to be sure that, you know, it really is for God. So I'll wait. Once you guys get started, then I'll, you know. Just the reality of where the church is at. These things are so backwards. And I'm telling you, man, people were so excited. You know why people were so excited? You know why people were so excited to give? Because they knew, man, God's going to be with us. I'll pay for that. I'll put some money towards that. Because it's going to be exciting to have God in our midst. And a couple of times through Israel's history, there were exiled from the land and they were taken captive and the temple gets torn down they build this beautiful temple you can go through and read it and it's very specific how they built it and what they use and the measurements and everything but they built this solomon builds this beautiful temple and then the temple gets torn down in battle after battle they take israel captive and the temple's gone turn to ezra chapter 3 because this is after israel's Back in their land, and they're like, man, we, we are Israel. What makes us different is the fact that God is with us. We need a place for God to dwell. We need somewhere for God to call home. And in Ezra chapter 3, verse 10, this is after the temple. The temple has been destroyed already. This is time, what? Sometime later, it says, now when the builders had laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, they're rebuilding the temple now. This is the second temple. They're, they're rebuilding it. It says, when the builders had laid the foundation for the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets. And the Levites, the sons of Asaph, and symbols, with symbols to praise the Lord according to the directions of King David of Israel. They sang, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good. For his loving kindness is upon Israel forever. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Now, remember, this is the people of God. What makes them different is the fact that God is with them. 
So this is the second time around. They're seeing a temple being built. The foundation is being laid, and people are getting excited again. Because the idea is, man, God's going to be with us. Verse 12. It says, yet many of the priests and the Levites and the heads of fathers' households, the old men who had seen the first temple, wept with a loud voice when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, while many shouted aloud for joy. What verse 12 is saying is that the, 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 the older generation, the ones that were around for the first temple, are seeing what's taking place, and they're crying. They're crying because they're like, man, the first temple was so much better because God was there. Yeah, it's great. We're building a church. But man... When God was there, forget who cares what it looked like because God was there. And then sometime later, we see Ezekiel chapter 10. Turn there, please. We see Ezekiel's having a vision. And this is probably one of the scariest things that ever happened in Israel's history. Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 9. This is Ezekiel, and he says, I looked, and each of the four cherubim had a wheel beside him. The cherubims are their angels. And he's having this vision, and he's seeing these, these angels with a wheel beside him. And the wheels sparkled with beryl. All four wheels looked alike and were made the same. Each wheel had a second wheel turning crosswise within it. The cherubim could move in, could move in and any of the four directions they faced without turning as they moved. They went straight into the direction that they faced, never turning aside. Both the cherubim and the wheels were covered with eyes. The cherubim had eyes all over their bodies, including their hands, their backs, and their wings. And I heard someone refer to the wheels as the whirling wheels. Each of the four cherubim had four faces. The first was the face of an ox. The second was a human face. The third was the face of a lion. The fourth was the face of an eagle. Then the cherubim rose upward. Verse 15. These were the same living beings I had seen beside the Kabar River. When the cherubim moved, the wheels moved with them. And when they lifted their wings to fly, the wheels stayed beside them. And when the cherubim stopped, the wheels stopped. And when they flew upward, the wheels rose up. For the spirit of the living beings was in the wheels. And here's, here's, that wasn't the scary part. If you're trying to picture that in your head, that wasn't even the scary part. Verse 18 says, Then the glory of the Lord moved out from the door of the temple and hovered above the cherubim. And as I watched, the cherubim flew with their wheels to the east gate of the Lord's temple, and the glory of God of Israel, the glory of the God of Israel hovered above them. Now, what's happening here, Ezekiel's seeing a vision, and in this vision, he, he sees angels. And he goes a little in depth describing these angels, but then he says, at the end, he sees the angel start taking off. And he sees the presence of God. Remember, we talked about Israel being able, they saw the presence of God coming down. And now Ezekiel is saying, I'm seeing the presence of God hovering over the front door. The very thing that makes Israel Israel is on its way out. And he sees the angels take off and he says the, presence, the glory of God, the presence of God leaves with it. Again, remember, this is the very thing that makes them who they are. This happened, this, what, what, what we just read is taking place about 586 B.C. And there's still prophetic activity. God is still moving and speaking through people for another 150 years. And they say about, this, and, and that brings us to the end of Malachi, the end of the book of Malachi. And then we're in this, what's known as the intertestamental period. It's the period between the end of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament. It was 400 years, 400 years of life. In between the end of Malachi and the beginning of Matthew, 400 years. There was no prophets in these 400 years. There was no presence of God 
But it's funny because ministry went on as normal. Judaism continued to do what they do. They continue to function the way they have always functioned. And different sects over this 400, I mean, this is 400 years. And there's different sects are starting to be birthed. There's the Pharisees that start saying, well, God's not here. And this is what, this is what the Jews are doing. God's not here, so we need to figure out a way to get him back. We need, to, we need to figure this out. You know what's going to work? Pharisees say, you know what's going to work? God is going to come if we start keeping the law. We need to start obeying what he already told us to do. So they start focusing heavily on the law and Jewish traditions. And there's all these other groups, the Sadducees and the Zealots. And, you know, the Zealots believed that God was going to come because they were waiting for a king. They were waiting for someone to come and be the king over Israel once again. And we'll talk, I'm going to talk about that more next week. But the zealots figured, because they were, they were under Rome's leadership, they were captive under Rome. So the zealots say, well, you know what we need to do? We need to start a war. We need to start a revolution. Because if Israel gets in trouble, then God will raise up a Messiah. And then we'll have our kingdom back. That's why people were concerned when Jesus was hanging out with the zealots. Because they figured, oh, Jesus must be trying to start some trouble. And there's all these different sects of Judaism that are being raised up because people are trying to say, well, we, this is what we need to do to get God to come back. This is 400 years where the people of God had lost the very thing that makes them the people of God. We turn to Matthew chapter 1. This is... About 500 years, 586 years after Ezekiel sees the presence of God leaving. And in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid. Take Mary as your wife, for the child has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. I don't want to miss this. This is well, the reason we're talking about this, because this is the Christmas season. And when we want to talk about why we're celebrating Christmas, this is why. It's not just because Jesus was born and died and raised from the dead and we could be saved of our sins. Yes, that is, that is why we celebrate. But what we're celebrating this month is the beginning of restoration. We're celebrating the fact that God didn't give up. That God was not satisfied just leaving us alone, leaving us to ourselves. And, and, and this is what we need to understand. This is what the world doesn't understand. The world does not understand the significance of the fact that Jesus Christ was born. That God was born. That God put on flesh and humbled himself to be a human being. The world doesn't understand this. The world rejects this. And for part of the church, we know this. But I'm telling you, man, we, we need to live with this reality in mind. For much of the church, the expectation that we would live with in light of eternity, that we would live in light of the second coming, the judgment seat of Christ, that Jesus is coming back. And most of the church isn't even living in light of the first coming. Most of the church is still sleeping on, oh, well, it's, you know, Christmas, yeah, okay, great, happy holiday. Who cares? What does the rest of your life look like? Saying Merry Christmas when they say happy holidays to you at Walmart. Great. 
But are we living in light of the fact that the Son of God was born? And he was here to, he, he came to redeem. Matthew chapter 20. I'm sorry. Matthew 28. Matthew 28 verse 19. This is the Great Commission. And we, we know this. But Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, and in the name of the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commands that I have given you. And he says, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of this age. God himself, remember, we, we, we jumped from the beginning of Jesus' life. And now we're at the end where God, it says, you shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And then at the end of Jesus' ministry, what does he promise to his people? He says, and lo, I will be with you always. I'm going to be with you. What Israel felt during those 400 years, you'll never feel. You'll never know what that's like. I will always be with you. You'll never know what it's like to be without the presence of God because I'm going to be there. In John 14, it says, he says, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not know him or does not see him or know him. But you know him because you, because he abides with you and will be in you. He abides with you and will be in you. And I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. You know, Marissa felt you know, that, that and it's, it, I felt the same thing. When we were in worship, I felt like God was saying, man, some people need to be refreshed. I felt the same thing. So when she came up and she shared that, Man, the reality is this, man. Here's your encouragement. Here's your refreshing. God, Jesus Christ says, I will not leave you as orphans. I'm not going to leave you to fend for yourself. I'm not going to leave you to feel like you need to to make it, you need to fix it yourself. I'm not going to leave you where you feel like you need to provide for yourself. I'm not going to leave you where you feel like you need to fight for yourself. I will be with you. Always. I'm going to send a helper so that he can be in you. Man, this is a promise that we have from Jesus Christ himself. And if that doesn't bring encouragement, then, you're, then quite frankly, your, your thinking is off. Because there's nothing else that's going to help you. Turn to the book of Acts. Acts chapter 2. Probably one of the most famous passages in Pentecostal churches all over the world. Acts chapter 2 says, And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to be tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, we know this story, we've read it a million times. But what I want to point out is that we often overlook the most miraculous part of this verse. It's not that tongues of fire came and they began to speak in other languages. But the fact that they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. This has never, ever happened before. This is the first time, you're reading the first account. Where the presence of God no longer dwells in houses built by men, but on the house he built himself. And I'm telling you, man, if if you're not careful, you'll miss this. Or the baptism of the Holy Spirit is about, you know, speaking in tongues and healing the sick. No, it's about the fact that God wants to live inside of you. 
And I'm telling you, man, if we don't live in light of this, we don't live in light. This is the promise that we have. When Jesus says, I will send you a helper. When he says, I will not leave you forever. When he says, I will not leave you as an orphan. This is what he's talking about. He's talking about this reality right here. Where the Spirit of God dwells among us. Where it's not just omnipresence, but the fact Jesus is here. You know, you, you ever, you ever, like, uh, maybe you're asleep on a couch one day or whatever it is, and you can just, you, you feel somebody, you don't see them, I'm not even here, but you just feel like somebody walking through, like, the air shifts. You know what I'm talking about? I, some, I feel that way. So I'll be asleep, and, like, Jubilee will just walk in the room, and I'm just like, oh, no. You know, but I, I can sense, like, something shifted in the room, just in the natural, the air, just, right? You can sense it. You can sense there's a presence of someone else here. This is what we're talking about. This is what I'm saying is foundational to us. Why? Because if we don't have the presence of God among us, then we're no different from everybody out there. I don't care how many Bibles you own. I don't care how many verses you've memorized. I don't care how many times you show up to church and how many people you pray for and how many of them get healed. That doesn't, say any, that doesn't validate anything about us. All it does is point to the fact that God is good. And he's faithful and he's desperate and, and, and hungry to reach people. And, I'm tell, and, and the reason why we want, this is, and this is what I'm saying, this is the reason why we want the presence of God in our midst is not for all that other stuff. The healings and the miracles. Those things are great. I'm all in. But the reason why we want God's presence with us is because it's what makes us different. It's what makes us His. The fact that He's given us the Spirit as a deposit, it's a down payment. This is, this is what He's given us. This is the fulfillment of a promise. This is proof of God puts the down payment down, showing us, you, can, you better believe, I put a deposit down, I'm going to come and collect the rest. I put a deposit down, I'm going to come and finish what I started. This is not a, 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 a Kmart layaway plan where you never know if they're going to come pick it up. It's not a pawn shop. God is making, he's made a deposit with himself. He paid with his life and guess what the down payment was? His spirit. The only thing that's going to succeed in the end, the only thing that, that's going to last in the end is what God does himself. And man, I want to encourage you guys. I want, I want to remind you guys in this season, this is what we're celebrating. This is what Christmas is all about. It's, it's, the, Christmas is the, is the beginning of the promise. Christmas reminds us of the fact that God did not leave us as orphans. Christmas reminds us of the fact that Jesus is with us. That we have his presence. Forget the presence and the toys and the food, I mean, all that stuff is great. But when you gather with your families this in the next couple of weeks, and all we do is just read, if we, all we're doing is reading the nativity story and not teaching our children the bigger picture, this is the, why this is so significant. If we're not teaching this to our kids, we're setting them up to fail. We're setting them up to grow up and, and seek validation and worth and value and everything else that the world has to offer. I'm telling you, man, this is, this is why we get together in a couple of weeks. This is why it's a big deal. This is why all over the world people are celebrating the fact that God was born. And I'm, and, and, and I'm, and I'm only sharing this because I really felt from the Lord, man, this is, we, need, we need to be reminded of the, the coming of the king. This is what he, a king was born. It, it, it wasn't just a baby, and then we had to wait 30 years before. He st- when he started his ministry at 30, that's when he became the king. Now, the king was born, and we celebrate that. We recognize that together as a family, in our natural families and our spiritual families, in our, in our house churches. We remember this thing, this, this date. We set this aside in our hearts to celebrate the fact that God came. 
And when we acknowledge this, we, get, we also get to acknowledge the fact that the Spirit has come and we are not left as orphans. That when all hell is up against us, we can be encouraged because God is with us. The scriptures say, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Israel had the presence of God on the outside. Israel, God's people in the Old Testament, they had the presence of God leading them as a pillar of fire or a pillar of cloud. They saw the presence of God come down over the tent of meeting. They saw, they, Ezekiel saw it leaving the temple. And man, we, we get that now. We, we get the Spirit of God. We get what nobody else has ever had. We get what Adam and Eve didn't have. We get to experience God in us. Remember, Adam saw God, he was, God was in the garden with him. And that's great. But man, God says, I'm, I'm going to give you something better than what I gave them. I'm going to give you myself. Turn to Revelation 21. We started in Genesis at the very beginning. And we end here. Revelation 21 at the very end. Revelation 21 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them. And they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Remember, man, this, this, is, this is the end of the story. In the beginning of the story, God was among them in the garden. And when I say when Jesus being born was the beginning of restoration, restoration to what? To so the way things were, when God was among his people. When God was among his creation. This is, how thing, this, is, this is how it's going to end for us. Where from the throne it's declared, God is with his people. The tabernacle of God is among men. The place where God dwells is among men. You know, Peter talks about, you know, the, the house of God being built with living stones. He says, he calls us living stones. We are living stones that house the presence of God. That's why when we get together, when we get together and we're saying, is anybody sensing anything? Does anybody feel like God is saying anything? Because there's 60 different ways that God could speak to us tonight. Because God is in each and every one of us that are born again and bear the, the, the name of Jesus Christ. That's why we come with an expectation to hear from God. Because there's so many ways he can talk to us. There's so many ways he can reveal himself. And it doesn't have to always come from somebody else. For some of us, we're always looking for the God in somebody else to speak to us. Forgetting the fact that God is in us. I don't know about you guys, but I'd much rather get rebuked by the God living in me than the God living in somebody else. I'd much, you just tell me first. I remember a couple of years ago when Tony Kemp was in town and he was talking to someone, he was prophesying over someone, and he was kind of, you know, airing out their business. And I remember he said, the only reason I'm doing this in front of them is because God has been telling you by yourself and you're not listening. And I'm, I'm, but I'm, I'm, just, I'm saying God is in us. He's speaking to us, and he's looking for people that want to be obedient and follow his voice and follow his lead. 
But the Spirit of God dwells among us. This is something that we can look forward to as we gather with our families. As we gather with unsaved family members to say, hey, do you, it's Christmas. Anybody write if, mind if I read a story from the Bible? Any unsaved family members? Okay, hurry up. It's almost 12 o'clock. We've got open presents. But even having the ability, having the chance, the opportunity to share, man, this is why this is so significant. Where it's not, let's just, let's just make the, you know, check the box on our list. We, we read the nativity story before we open our presents. But we're going to take time and acknowledge the fact that God was born, that Jesus came into the world, that the king was born. Man, it, it, and, and again, I, I said, man, this, I feel like this, we've, we've been here before. We've talked about this before. But I feel like it's so foundational, again, not just to us as believers, but to us as a church. I know I can speak for, for me and Janelle and, and the rest of the leadership team here. Man, this is 101 right here. This is basics. We need God in our midst more than we need flashing lights and good projectors. Because you know what the early church had was God in their midst. They had a realization, they had an understanding of the fact that God was with them. They were all filled with the Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Man, they were all filled with the Spirit. And they were able to live out of that reality because God was with them. And because they understood that, they could live with the expectation for him to return. Because this was just a deposit. They understood that. Paul understood this was just a deposit. He's coming soon. John, tells, John says 2,000 years ago, we're in the last hour. Reinhard Bonnke says if that was the last hour, then we're in the last few seconds now. But it's only because we have an understanding of what already took place that we can look ahead and say, I'm living in light of that now. Because the Spirit empowers us to do that. The Spirit empowers us to live in light of eternity. The Spirit empowers us to do righteous deeds. Not in and of ourselves, but because God is doing it through us so that He can get the glory for it. So what I want to do to, to wrap up tonight is, and we did this a couple weeks ago, man, I want to break up into groups. I break up into groups of, you know, three, four, five. You know, five at the most. And just, man, just take some time and just pray for one another. And that, that there would be a reality of the presence of God in, in, our, in, in the other person's life. That it wouldn't just be, well, I know God is with me, so I got to watch what I do. It's like, no, God is here. I can feel him here. And that would help. And I'm telling you, if, when we understand it, when we live with the presence of, with the reality of the presence of God being near, being with us, it's real, e- it gets real easy to live a holy life. But it's also real easy to step out in faith. And share the gospel with somebody. Pray for somebody. Encourage somebody. Because, you know, man, God's with me. God is with me. So, man, I want to take some time and let's break up into groups and let's pray. And, 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 and just, you know, encourage one another, man, that God would reveal himself. Hold on one second. Hi. Um, as Frankie was talking, and he was talking about the the 400 years in between, I don't know why, but I just asked the Lord, Lord, how did you feel? How did you feel in that 400 years when you were gone? And he said, I felt really sad. I felt really sad, sad, a sadness that you wouldn't even understand and how would you feel if you were gone from your child from your children for such a long time I miss my ch- I miss my children for after two days 
imagine how excited he was to send his presence again. To be with his people again. How excited he was and he is now to be with his people. He's ecstatic. How much more excited should we be to be with him, to ask him to be with us, to expect more? I have no idea. (laughs) But Lord, I ask you, God, I ask us, I ask you to help us to feel how you felt in that 400 years. The desire for more, Lord God, the more of you. But Lord, the excitement that you had to send Jesus, the excitement that you had to be with us, Lord God, I pray that that would fill us today. Fill us with your presence, oh God. We long for more of you, God. And give us a heart that appreciates the fact that you are with us now. That you are with us, that you are in us, Lord God, and you are happy to be here. You're not just here because you have to be. Even though you have to be. But Lord, you want to be here. You want to be with us. You want to be in us, Lord God. We thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. So let's take let's just take some time and break up into groups and let's just take some time and pray together. Pray for one another. Oh. And uh, we will when we're done, we're gonna we're gonna worship we're gonna sing a song together but yeah go ahead break up into groups three four five